Sometimes you enter into a series and you think, how can I make this applicable? How can I help the people that are listening to not just say, ah, yes, intellectually I agree with that, but leave them with something that they can take and, and actually put it into practice. This uh, sermon series on Sunday morning is called Call Out. And so every single Sunday I've given you a challenge, of a fasting challenge, so to speak. Now, most of us think about fasting in terms of uh, particularly giving up food, which is, of course, uh, fasting absolutely. Uh, there are other ways to fast and other things to fast from. So every single lesson we've been challenged with a form and a style of fasting to remove something from our lives that sort of interrupts our rhythm and our flow. This past week, uh, I challenged you to give up buying non-essential things. And without a doubt, it was the most controversial of all the fasting challenges. Text messages, Facebook messages, people coming up to me. How could you? How could you? Um, <laughs> one lady came up to me this morning and said, I really appreciate the challenge. It was very hard. She said, there were, I naturally wanted to buy some things this week that weren't bad or wrong. Uh, it, it was, I want a new pair of shoes. But I thought, you know, I've got a pair of shoes and they're fine. Uh, I thought I might get a new purse. But, you know, I just had the one I have just for a year and, and it does the job just great. And it reminded me that I need to be content and grateful toward God. I'm, I'm glad that she responded well to the challenge and I told her that. Um, after the sermon last week, uh, got home, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm coming off that, you know, that sermon, I don't know what it is, the endorphins or whatever that go through a preacher's head. And, and I sit down, my wife's kind of giving me that look. Oh no, you know, what have I done now? He said, you realize, of course, that the Carpenter Place shopping event is this week. <laughs> no, I didn't. So I, I apologized to Sarah and, and uh, told everybody on Facebook that uh, they had absolution for that one thing. So I hope that... Uh, I hope that you did take advantage of that because Carpenter Place really does a great work. But the challenges have been good. I hope that you have tried at least one of them. And I do hope it's interrupted you a little bit and challenged you and, and made you maybe a bit more thoughtful and mindful about your prayer life. Today, we, we've talked about the prayer of adoration. We've talked about the prayer of confession. We've talked about the prayer of thanksgiving. Today, we talk about the prayer of a word that we don't use a lot. So this is going to be difficult. It's called the prayer of supplication. Supplication simply means to pray for the needs of yourself and other people. Um, the word supplicate means to almost to beg for something, to earnestly ask for something. Uh, if you've, uh, if you're a parent or you've been a parent and you have had small children or have small children, you know what this is like. Uh, they, they, you go to the gas station, you go in just to, just to buy gas, and they see the, the candy bar or the, the slushy, and they supplicate you. Please, oh please, oh please. That's, that's supplication. That's asking. Now, now, the Greek and the Hebrew words for supplicate is an earnest, sincere re- request or desire, a strong petition. It is asking of God something that you earnestly from the heart. It's not just it's not just laying it out there and saying, you know, God, we need to pray for this. Or that. I mean, it is sincere. It is it is humble. It is um, full of absolute passion and um, it desires something of God. Is it biblical? Oh, yes. 
There are many, many prayers of supplication. In fact, I, I probably would, would dare to say that, that there are the most types of supplication than of any other type of prayer. If you look through the Psalms, Psalm, Psalms is full of the supplication of God for specific things. David, in many places, pleads for mercy. He pray, prays for leading. He prays for a salvation. He prays for deliverance. Um, we, we learn that he was not afraid to ask. He knew that the one he asked was the only one who could fulfill and answer his desires. And, and oftentimes they were in the middle of very hard, difficult, trying situations. So the supplication that he offered was sincere. In the New Testament, uh, we're told many times that Jesus in the model of prayer, Matthew chapter 6, says we need to pray for our daily bread. That's supplication. That's, that's asking God sincerely for something that you need every single day. Uh, you think meals aren't important, just try missing one. And you'll realize your body will tell you how important they are. So uh, Jesus taught about prayer, the prayer of supplication, by telling the story of a widow. This widow pleaded her case. With the judge. Now, this judge wasn't a godly man. He didn't care about people. He, he, in fact, we're, we're told that he's sort of an unjust judge, maybe a little shady. And yet, this widow knew that the judge was the only one who could grant her justice, and so she pleaded again and again, day after day, until literally she wore him out from asking. That's supplicating. So we understand this idea of, of asking God as... Someone who can fulfill, someone who can uh, answer, and someone who does answer. We can think of it like, as fathers, uh, how much we care for our children and how much we want for them to have good things, even though we ourselves are far from good. We're told, we'll get to this in a second, that, that God is perfectly good. And he knows exactly what we need before we can ask it. Uh, in my study, I found a one great quote uh, that I think perfectly captures this idea of supplication. That's this. Who is it that dares to ask the king for a glass of water for themselves at three in the morning? The only one who dares such is the king's child. And we, as children of the king, have that kind of access. No one would dare to rouse the king for such a request, but, but the king's child, the king's children, can go to him and ask. Now, maybe you've heard that there are three ways that God can answer a prayer. Simply, they are yes no or wait. Can I ask you this morning, uh, just for a show of hands, how many of you have ever asked God for anything? All right. Let me ask you a tougher question. How many of you have received the answer no or wait from God? Now, some people say, well, if you're going to get those answers, why bother even asking? What's the point? If he's just going to do what he wants anyway, then why bother supplicating, entreating, begging, pouring out ourselves before him? 
We've all been there on the journey of faith where we, we ask something that's not asking God for a billion dollars. It's asking something that we believe and we know and that we yearn for and we beg and we entreat. We do the persistent widow thing and still he answers no. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I kind of want to address that. Because I think we all know about the prayer of supplication, but maybe in the back of our mind, it's the what if. What if I ask God and he doesn't supply? Well, what if I beg God and he says no or wait? How do we respond? And maybe, maybe a deeper question is, why is the prayer of supplication so important? Okay, so walk along with me. Open your Bibles. We're going to talk first about how the prayer of supplication deepens your faith. Let me say first that praying privately is the best, truest measure of your faith in God. This morning, we have said several prayers. And most every time we gather to worship, we pray anywhere from four to six prayers. And those prayers vary in length and and sincerity and, and style and all of that. But there's 167 other hours of the week. When you think backward, of the last 167 hours, how much time did you spend before the Father's throne? It's the... The best, truest measures of personal faith. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talking about prayer. And he kind of draws a a very stark contrast between two types of prayer. First, he talks about the praying of the hypocrites. And I don't want to delve too much into that, but I want to look at verse 6 and following. He says this, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because there are many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Beyond showing that, uh, supplication showing in our belief in God, that we, when we leave here and we go home and we, we get out of our church clothes and we get into our leisure clothes and we partake of the rest of the week that God gives us, how often do we bow down behind a closed door where no one can see but God? That's faith. That's belief that he exists. But more than that, it's not just belief that when you close your eyes that there's someone there. It's the trust that not only is he there, but that he cares. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, or 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 
casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. It's a belief that not only is he there, but that he cares, that he hears, that he listens. It's that trust that not only is he there and that he cares and that he listens, but that when he answers, whether it's yes, whether it's no, whether it's wait, is the right answer. It's the exact right answer to the request that you made. Supplication requires humility. And this leads us to our second point. It requires humility because it teaches us total, complete trust. I'm going to pick on my friend Austin. He thought I was going to pick on him for something different. had no idea I was going to do this. Come here. Okay, now I want you to face that way. Now, you know I'm here, right? I want you to close your eyes. You know I'm here, right? And I want you to fold your arms over your chest. You know I'm here, right? Now, what I want to ask you to do, Austin, is to trust that I'm here. And I want to ask you to fall back. I want you to keep your legs straight. I don't want you to do it until I call you to fall. But I want you, when I say fall, to trust me. You ready? One, two, three, fall. Now that was easy for you to watch. But it was much harder for him because he couldn't see me. I didn't. Give him the courtesy of asking about it beforehand. He just had to trust the preacher in the moment. Okay? I don't have a Chick-fil-A card for you. I'm sorry. So, (laughs) When you, in prayer, close your eyes and cross your arms and, and, and trust that God is there and that he hears and that he cares and that he wants to answer you, you are showing total Trust in him. Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Now some people just catch that first part. Delight yourself. Oh, see, I can do what I want. God wants just to make me happy. No, that's not what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord Trust in him and he will act. You see, the act of trusting God, the act of asking God is trusting him completely and trusting in him completely. And that means that when whatever answer he gives us, the answer is sufficient. Turn now to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. The verse that was read earlier in worship. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. For he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, 
If your son asks you for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks you for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God, your Father in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? You say, I'm not sure that's true, because I ask God for this. I beg God for this. And if he was good, he would have given it to me. See, you're not trusting in God there. You're trusting in you. What you have to learn to do is to be able to trust him. Now, listen, I'm a father, but I'm not good. Oh, I know you think I'm good because I'm the preacher. I know you have some, but, but compared to God's standard of good, I fall way short. But I know how to give good gifts to my children. Sometimes when I, well, most of the time, because now they expect it. Anytime I go on an out-of-town trip, I'll pick them up something. Maybe it's just a little trinket or, or a little a gift or a memento or something, but it's just something small. But now they expect it because they know that when dad goes away, his, heart's, his heart hasn't forgotten his children. And so he'll bring those things back. Sometimes, not through a fasting challenge, mind you, but I'll stop by the nifty nut house because happy wife, happy life. And while I'm getting Christy some dark sea salted covered caramels, I said that wrong, but you get it. I also pick up some small bags of candy for my children. That doesn't make me good. That just means I love my children. Here in a couple of weeks, I'm going to take my children and Christy to Disney World. Not because I'm good. Not because we're good, but because we love our children. Now, they can't go to college. That's, that's sort of been written out, but... Have you guys ever seen Disney? At Disney World, it seems to me like it's almost cheaper to eat your own money than to buy the food there. No. Why do we do that? Because we love our children. Are we good? No. But we love our children. And we know how to give good gifts to our children. Now, let me, let me take you one step further on this. My children know that I love them. And sometimes they ask me for things. And many times I say no. Or sometimes I say, let's wait on that. Let's see, let's just see how this plays out. Now, now that's a simple illustration, okay? They'll, they'll ask me for things, they'll entreat me for things, and sometimes I say no or wait. Because one, I know that the thing they want is really not good for them. Dad, can I, can I play with this friend? Can I go over to this person's house? No, you can't. Why don't you let me? Dad, why won't you let me? Because I know things about that kid that you don't know. And it's not good for you, so no. Dad, can I get this thing? Can I buy this thing? No. Let's just wait a little bit on that. Because I know it's hidden in the closet at home waiting on the next birthday. There are things as a parent that we know that sometimes we say no or wait because that's the best answer for our children. So if you ask and God says no, 
It teaches you total and complete trust that his answer is always best. The root of the word supplication is the word supple, which means soft or bendable, pliable, if you will. Now, if we think about prayer, the prayer of supplication... Some people believe that supplication is this idea that God should bend to us. No, in prayer, what we learn is to bend our will to God's, to become flexible, to bendable. Uh, Let me give you an example of this, one that you probably know probably pretty well. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 is a dark point in the gospel of Luke. It's It's literally a dark point because it's at night. Jesus and disciples have gone to the garden, and Jesus knows that the time is close. Not just where he's going to be beaten and mocked and ridiculed. Not that he's just going to be stripped and and that the soldiers will make fun of him and gamble for the only pieces of property. Not just that a crown of thorns will be crushed over his sweet, precious head. Not just that he will be beaten ruthlessly to the point that he'll be unable to carry the cross. The physical price that he was going to have to pay, Jesus was willing to pay. And honestly, I think he was tough enough to do it. But Jesus knew there was something more coming. That there was going to be six hours of darkness That God, for the first time in eternity, would turn his back on his son. And he would cry out with the last remaining breaths of his life, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that more than just being forsaken, that his wrath would be poured out on his innocent, spotless lamb of a son. He knew all of that was coming. No one else knew that. Now, as they gather to the garden, the disciples are exhausted. They can't even stay with their their rabbi and pray. They're they're falling asleep during during the prayer. They're gone. Jesus is all alone. It's just him and God. And he prays, and and the scriptures tell us that the blood poured from his brow like sweat. Actual medical condition. He was begging. He was entreating his father for the following thing. Look at verse 42. Luke records. Now think as Jesus is praying, he can probably hear the the voices of the soldiers of the mob getting closer. Perhaps he can see the light coming there across the valley from the torches that they carry. But he's alone. And as he prepares for the incredible wrath of God to be poured out, this is what he prays. It's not just what he prays. It's what he begs for. It's what he pleads for. It's what he entreats his father, the king, for. Verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Can we all read the green words together? 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus there is supplicating. He's bending his will to the Father. He's bending all of himself. It wasn't the cross. It wasn't any of the stuff that he was going to face. He bent his will to the Father. Father, I don't want to go through this, but if I have to, I trust you. Not myself, but you, Father. Not my will, but yours, God. I trust you. May we learn to supplicate. May we learn to entreat. May we learn to beg God. But may we finish every request, every entreaty, every supplication with those simple words. Yet, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Very quickly, I want to give you one thing that I believe supplication helps us do amongst one another. This is our last point. I think the prayer of supplication helps you to help other people. Ephesians chapter 6, if you are following along or scrolling along, Turn there. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, you know probably well from a VBS lesson or a Sunday school lesson, is about the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And he goes through very specifically, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And at this point in the VBS lesson, you have one scared second grader who is covered in aluminum foil. And while that's a cool picture, Paul had a greater picture in mind than just dressing up little kids in armor. There was a point to all this. You see, when you put on armor, you're going to battle. And this is what he says. Look at when he he doesn't stop in verse 18. He says this. And pray in the Spirit. On all kinds of occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul says that when you take a knee, when you bow, when you go into that room, when you shut the door, when you go to your father who is unseen, what you're really doing is armoring up for battle. Who are you battling for? Sometimes you're battling for yourself, something you're struggling with, a temptation you're fighting. But many times you're battling for someone else. Oh, it's the coolest thought in the world. I just don't have the budget for it. If only I could outfit all of you in armor. It would take a lot of time and a lot of dollars. But it would give us exactly the picture of what happens every time we go to God 
in prayer. It's not just a a light thing. God forbid we ever take it for granted. We are going to battle together. When you, when you see an announcement requesting prayers, when, when you get an email from the prayer tree, you're going to battle. So may we take the battle seriously. May we seek to help others. We'll finish with this verse. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. It's not just that we're going to battle. It's in that battle we are helping others carry the things that they carry. This morning, who have you prayed for? This week, this past week, who did you go to battle for? This coming week, you didn't do great last week. You have many opportunities Not just to battle, but to help carry one another. As we as a body of Christ work together, we help one another through the stuff of life. And that's not because of us, by the way. And that's not because there's anything magical about prayer. Prayer works because God works. And God works. He gives us this entreaty, this ability to come before him as children And ask for anything. And we trust him enough that no matter what the answer is, it's the right answer. And we learn to bend our will to his in all things. Well, this morning, I want to leave you with a challenge. Hopefully there's not a some sort of gossip festival this weekend. Uh, That would be really weird. I guess it would be good marketing, though. Did you hear about the thing, the gossip festival? Did you hear about that? Um, I want to challenge you to fast from gossip and criticism. And Northside, uh, I think we do pretty good at this. Of course, nobody tells the preacher all the good gossip, so uh, maybe I'm just out of the loop. But I really sincerely believe that gossip is a serious, crushing sin, not just to a church, but to a family, to a workplace, to a school. May we as Christians not be engaged in gossip because it just crushes the spirit. It kills morale. It destroys unity. And so as we think about that, uh, I hope that we'll be a church that passes negatives up and positives all around. In other words, if you have something negative to say about somebody, here's the definition of gossip. If you are sharing something about someone else or sharing a situation with someone else who cannot do anything about the problem, that's gossip. And Christians can be the worst about this. Because then we'll gossip and sort of spiritualize it by saying, we should pray for them. What I'm asking is that we watch ourselves in that. That we instead work to be a more positive people. And not to say that we don't deal with problems, but give the problems to the people that can fix them. May we send negatives up and pass positives all around. So that's your challenge this week, and I hope that you'll take us up on it. Well... This morning, the greatest gift that you could ever receive has been given for you. Uh, the, the beautiful, uh, sweet grace of Jesus can be yours today because of what he did on the cross. If you're ready to receive that gift, to confess him as Lord, to put the old sinful self behind you, and to walk with him in newness of life, come down front. We'd love to help you do that. Or if you have another need, maybe you've been struggling in some sort of way and you'd like us to go to battle with you and for you. We'll be glad to do that as well.
Whatever need you might have this morning, I want you to come as together now we stand and sing.